Chapter Ten of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: My Partial Escape from the Mud, the Deserted Village, My Cottage. Our next time up after our Christmas Day experiences were full of incident and adventure. During the peace which came upon the land around the twenty-fifth of December, we had, as I mentioned before, been able to stroll about in an altogether unprecedented way. We had had the courage to walk into the mangled old village just behind our front-line trenches and examine the ruins. I had never penetrated into this gloomy wreck of a place, even at night, until after Christmas. It had just occasionally caught our attention as we looked back from our trenches, mutilated and deserted, a dirty skeleton of what had once been a small village, very small, about twelve small houses and a couple of farms. Anyway, during this time in after Christmas, we started thinking out plans, and in a few days we heard that it had been decided to put some men into the village and hold it as a second line. The platoon commander with whom I lived happened to be the man selected to have charge of the men in the village. Consequently, one night he left our humble trench, and together with his servant and small belongings from the dugout, went off to live somewhere in the village. About this time the conditions under which we lived were very poor. The cold and rain were exceedingly severe, and altogether physical discomfort was at its height. When my stable companion had gone, I naturally determined to pay him a call the next night, and to see what sort of place he had managed to get to live in. I well remember that next night. It was the first on which I realized the chances of a change of life presented by the village, and this was the start of two months' village life for me. I went off from our old trench after dusk on my usual round of the machine guns. When this was over I struck off back across the field behind our trench to the village and waited up what had been the one and only street. Out of the dozen mangled wrecks of houses I didn't know which one my pal had chosen as his residence. So I went along the shell-mutilated waterlogged road, peering into this ruin and that, until at the end of the street, about four hundred yards from the Germans and two hundred yards from our own trenches, I came across a damp and dark figure lurking in the shadows. Alt. Who goes there? Friend. Pass, friend, all's well. The sentry, evidently posted at end of village. I got a tip from him as to my friend's new dwelling place. I say, sentry, which house does Mr. Hudson live in? That small one down t'other end on the left, sir. Thanks. I went back along the deserted ruin of a street, and at the far end on the left I saw the dim outline of a small cottage, almost intact, it appeared, standing about five yards back from the road. This was the place the sentry meant right enough, and in I went at the hole in the plaster wall. The front door, having apparently stopped something or other previously, was conspicuous by its absence. All was dark. I groped my way along round to the back, stumbling over various bits of debris on the ground, until I found the opening into what must be the room where Hudson had elected to live. Not a light showed anywhere, which was as it should be, for a light would be easily seen by the Bosch not far away, and if they did see one, there would be trouble. I came to an opening covered with an old sack. Pulling this a little to one side, I was greeted with a volume of suffocating smoke. I proceeded further, and diving in under the sack, got inside the room. In the midst of the smoke, sitting besides a crushed and battered fire-bucket, sat a man, his face illuminated by the flickering light from the fire. The rest of the room was bathed in mysterious darkness. 
"'Where's Mr. Hudson?' I asked. "'He's out having a look at the barbed wire in front of the village, I think, sir. "'But he'll be back soon, as this is where he stays now.' "'I determined to wait, and, to fill the time, started to examine the cottage. "'It was the first house I had been into in the firing line, "'and, unsavory wreck of a place as it was, "'it gave one a delightful feeling of comfort to sit on the stone-flagged floor "'and look upon four perforated walls and a shattered roof.' The worst possible house in the world would be an improvement on any of those dugouts we had in the trenches. The front room had been blown away, leaving a back room and a couple of lean-tos which opened out from it. An attic under the thatched roof with all one end knocked out completed the outfit. The outer and inner walls were all made of that stuff known as wattle and daub, sort of earth-like plaster, worked into and around hurdles. A bullet would, of course, go through walls of this sort like butter, and so they had. For, on examining the outer wall on the side which faced the Germans, I found it looking like the top of a pepper-pot for holes. A sound as of a man trying to waltz with a cream separator suggested to my mind that someone had tripped and fallen over that mysterious obstacle outside, which I had noticed on entering, and presently I heard Hudson's voice cursing through the sack doorway. He came in and saw me examining the place. "'Hello, you're here too, are you?' he exclaimed. "'Are you going to stay here as well?' "'I don't quite know yet,' I replied. "'It doesn't seem a bad idea, as I have to walk the round of all the guns the whole time. "'All I can and have to do is to hitch up in some central place, "'and this is just as central as that rotten trench we've just come from.' "'Of course it is,' he replied. "'If I were you, I'd come along and stay with me and go to all your places from here.' If an attack comes, you'll be able to get from one place to another much easier than if you were stuck in that trench. You'd never be able to move from there when an attack and bombardment had started. Having given the matter a little further consideration, I decided to move from my dugout to this cottage. So I left the village and went back across the field to the trench to see to the necessary arrangements. I got back to my lair and shouted for my servant. Here, Smith, I said, I'm going to fix up at one of the houses in the village. This place of ours here is no more central than the village, and any one of those houses is a damn sight better than this clay hole here. I want you to collect all my stuff and bring it along. I'll show you the way. So presently, all my few belongings having been collected, we set out for the village. That was my last of that fearful trench. A worse one, I know, could not be found. My new life in the village now started, and I soon saw that it had its advantages. For instance, there was a slight chance of fencing off some of the rain and water. But my knowledge of front by this time was such that I knew there were corresponding disadvantages, and my instinct told me that the village would present a fresh crop of dangers and troubles quite equal to those of the trench, though slightly different in style. I had now started off on my two months' sojourn in the village of St. Yvonne. End of chapter 10 Recording by Philip Gould